Hello all, and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. And boy, do we have a great show for you today. Today's episode is titled, Dead or Alive? The Navy said he was lost at sea, but Mom said he was alive and well. Today's episode of No Home for Heroes is taken from the files of the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation. It's an incredible tale of a family being officially informed by the United States Navy that their son was missing in action, only to receive a telephone call from the sailor after he was supposedly lost at sea. Investigating this strange case and getting to the confusing facts and the official record straight only took 73 years. I'm your host, Rick Stone, bringing you another great and true story from our vault of history's military mysteries. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production of the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We invite you to listen to all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast or streaming platform you prefer. We dedicate this episode to our loyal listeners in Indianapolis, Indiana, for it is the famous World War II cruiser, the USS Indianapolis, where our amazing story begins. On Indianapolis? What happened? Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into our side chief. He was coming back from the island of Tinian to Lady, just delivered the bomb, the Hiroshima bomb. Eleven hundred men went into the water. The vessel went down in twelve minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger, 13 footer, you know, you know that when you're in the water, Chief? You tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. What we didn't know was our bomb mission had been so secret, no distress signal had been sent. <laughs> they didn't need Mr. Zoodu for a week. Very first light, Chief. Sharks cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. You know, it's kind of like old squares in a battle, like you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo, and the idea was, shark comes to the nearest man, that man, he start pounding and hollering and screaming, and sometimes the shark go away. Sometimes he won't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, he doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white and then... Oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red and despite all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in they Rip you to pieces. 
by the end of that first dawn. Lost a hundred men. I don't know how many sharks, maybe a thousand. I don't know how many men, the average six an hour. On Thursday morning, Chief, I bumped into a friend of mine, Herbie Robinson from Cleveland. Baseball player, Bosun's mate. I thought he was asleep. Reached over to wake him up. Bobbed up and down in the water, it was like a kind of top. Upended. Well, he'd been bitten in half below the waist. Noon the fifth day, Mr. O'Berry, Lockheed Ventura. So he swung in low and he saw us too. The young pilot, a lot younger than Mr. Hooper anyway, he saw us and he come in low. And three hours later, a big fat PBY comes down and starts to pick us up. You know, that was the time I was most frightened, waiting for my turn. I'll never put on a life jacket again. So 1,100 men went in the war. 316 men come out of the sharks, took the rest, June the 29th, 1945. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. That, of course, was the late, great actor Robert Shaw from the 1975 movie Jaws. If you've never seen the movie or heard of the USS Indianapolis, raise your hand. Okay, I see one hand in Billings, Montana, and whoops, there's another hand raised in Laz Buddy, New Mexico. Where is that exactly? Oh well, never mind. Suffice to say, the movie Jaws is a classic about a giant shark attacking swimmers along the northeastern coast, and a local resort town police chief and a shark fisherman named Quint seek out and destroy the shark, but not before the star of the movie, the shark, eats their boat. The character named Quint, as you heard in the clip, purported to have experience with sharks after the sinking of the USS Indianapolis in the Pacific. Amazingly, the movie got the basic historical facts correct. The heavy cruiser USS Indianapolis was a frequent flagship of the U.S. Fifth Fleet. It sank in only 12 to 15 minutes, shortly after being torpedoed by two Japanese torpedoes from the submarine I-58 in the Philippine Sea. The sinking was shortly after midnight on 30 July 1945. When the Indianapolis sank, about 800 sailors went into the sea, and all the paper records went down with the ship. Through a series of incredible blunders by the Navy, the Indianapolis, affectionately known as the Indy by her crew, was not missed, nor were her distress signals taken seriously. What were left of the survivors of her sinking were not spotted in the water until almost four days later, when a routine patrol aircraft sighted hundreds of sailors wearing life jackets or swimming alone or on a few rafts drifting, spread across almost a mile, really a little longer than a mile, of an otherwise empty ocean. Among the lost documents was the detailed crew roster, including documentation of any changes in the crew that took place between 16 July and 28 July 1945, 
during transits of the Indy from San Francisco to Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor to Tinian Island to deliver components of the atomic bomb that was later dropped on Hiroshima, Japan, from Tinian to Guam, and finally, on the last route, Guam to Leyte in the Philippines. At the conclusion of the rescue operations, 316 Indy survivors had been found alive, and 91 bodies had been recovered. The remainder of the 1,195 crew members had either gone down with the ship or died during the horrific four-day ordeal in the water, with many believed to have been eaten by sharks. The Navy tried to reconstruct the ship's final sailing list and account for the missing. They also began sending out telegrams to the families of the Indies crew who had not been found. Telegrams like this one on 12 August 1945 to Charles and Ruth Donner in Big Rapids, Michigan. Quote, We regret to inform you that your son, Clarence William Donner, radio technician second class, United States Navy Reserve, has been missing in action since 30 July 1945. The news became even more confusing over the following days when the family learned that Clarence was feared lost on the heavy cruiser USS Indianapolis. But Mom knew something that the Navy wasn't aware of. Clarence Donner had called his parents after 30 July to tell them that he was headed by train from California to Fort Schuyler, New York to attend an officer training program. Their son Clarence was alive, well, and had never sailed with the Indianapolis. Well, the next day after receiving this telegram, Clarence's mother, Ruth, typed a letter to the Chief of Naval Personnel, Vice Admiral Randall Jacobs. She wrote, quote, We are pleased to inform you that we have talked to our son since that date and also had a postal card and a letter. He is now en route to a naval school in New York. End quote. Mrs. Donner went on to explain that radio technician second class Donner was taken to Treasure Island, California, and from there ferried to the cruiser USS Indianapolis to be a passenger to some island base in the Pacific. He had been on the ship but a half hour when a call came through for him to take his gear and go back on shore. Mrs. Donner was no doubt thrilled and happy to report to Vice Admiral Jacobs that her son was, quote, safe and well, end quote, and hoped her letter would, quote, help keep your record straight, end quote. <laughs> Not quite. The Navy simply changed its status for radio technician second-class Donner from missing in action to being a survivor of the sinking. Of course. I, like just about everyone else in the world, was not aware of the Donner mystery in 2012 when I was working MIA cases for the United States Department of Defense in Honolulu, Hawaii. But in the course of investigating 179 other cases while there, I stumbled onto a whole series of, well, other odd cases connected with the Indy mystery, which seemed to indicate that some of the casualties of the sinking had actually been recovered and buried at sea, but were still on the official rolls of the Department of Defense as missing in action. Well, 
swamped with thousands of other cases and running out of time in my contract, I wasn't able to follow up on those clues until May of 2017, when a team of investigators from the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation was sent to the Naval History and Heritage Command on the Washington Navy Yard in Washington, D.C. Their mission was to search the archives of the Naval History and Heritage Command for any information that might help clear some of those indie cases I had been concerned about in 2012. Shortly after that trip, the Naval History and Heritage Command asked me to review some excellent research that had been conducted by one of their own historians, Dr. Richard Hulver, and an independent author, Miss Sarah Vladek, concerning the Donner mystery. The question was simple. Was Donner lost at sea? Was Donner a survivor? Or was Clarence Donner never on the ship in the first place? Both Dr. Hulver and Miss Fladdock discovered that within hours of arriving on the Indy, Donner's notice of acceptance into an officer training program had arrived. And with incredible efficiency, the orders given to him to report to Fort Schuyler, New York, were delivered to him on board the Indianapolis. His deployment to the Pacific was canceled. Amid the chaos of the ship's hurried secret redeployment to deliver the atomic bomb components to Tinian Island, Donner's arrival on board was apparently recorded, but his hasty departure overlooked. Thus, when the paper records were reconstructed after the sinking, he, he remained on the final crew list, resulting in a complement of 1,196 sailors on board the USS Indianapolis. That number was one too many. In reviewing the amazing amount of documentation already collected, I concurred with the conclusions. It was then a simple matter of finding radio technician second class Clarence Donner in 2017 and confirming the facts. With some foundation research in hand, I actually telephoned the Johnson Cemetery in Palatka, Florida, and confirmed with the cemetery administrator that radio technician, second class, Clarence William Donner, was there. He had died at age 82 on 1 February 2002. Well, we reported our foundation's confirmation to the Naval History and Heritage Command, and in March 2018, the United States Navy finally corrected their records and removed radio technician second-class Donner as an Indy crew member on that last fatal voyage. He wasn't lost at sea, and he wasn't a survivor. What he was was probably the luckiest man of all who had ever set foot on the USS Indianapolis, be it ever so briefly. And the bottom line is this. Mom was right. Something tells me that there will be other No Home for Heroes podcasts about future investigations into other USS Indianapolis mysteries. So stay tuned to No Home for Heroes. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We hope you enjoyed today's production. It's really been a special one for us to produce. We invite you to check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio Podcasts, Blueberry, or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts. 
We greatly appreciate your comments, and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We again thank you for your support of our mission to provide information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. Every assistance counts, and you do make a difference. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas. I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them.